is Chris Angeles. This is Right at the Fork. And this morning we have the privilege of having one of Portland's most prolific food writers with us. We haven't had a food writer yet. Michael Zussman, who by day is in the court next door um, as a traffic judge. And by night writes for various publications. Right now he, he does some freelance writing. He writes for PortlandFoodAndDrink.org. Uh, has some articles in Portland Monthly, Willamette Week, and he's been writing for about 10 years. He'll talk to us about that. Um, he is an Oregonian at heart, and uh, he if you follow him on Facebook or Twitter, you'll see that he is constantly traveling around the world. So his perspective on food in general and the Portland food scene is one that not a lot of people have, and it's really interesting to hear him talk about it and put it all in perspective, which we're going to do momentarily with Michael Zussman. I can officially say you are the first guest we've had wearing a tie. Uh, I prefer it or if or otherwise. Well, you could have taken it off, but you got to put your go- you're going back. I have to go back. Do you have a tie on under the robe? Yes. But you can't see it, right? Yeah, you can see the time. Oh, you can see. Yes. Yeah. So this morning was a little quiet? Yes. We had a small docket, primarily TriMet tickets. Oh, okay. It's always always interesting, I would imagine. Uh, it's probably not interesting to you. Uh, is it still interesting? Some the stories you get, the excuses? Uh, I, yeah, I still love my job, so I, I, I some of the stories tend to repeat, but uh, every case a little bit different, and every case important to the person there. So, Just like the food business, right? So every meal is, is, well, I don't know if every meal is important, but to the chefs, every meal they send out should be important, and especially if it's going to you. I like the segue. Yeah, well... I, you know, I think restaurant owners, Thanks. they take their work seriously. And, um, and so restaurant criticism is very, is important because it touches on, it affects lives, right? It not only affects your readers' lives and where they go, but in the people who work really hard, they can, they can falter on the wrong night and have that really affect their life. I, I agree with that. I, I think uh, writing about restaurants is something that you got to take seriously, and, and it's not trivial. Um, so what, what, what do you think? Is that, is that a, there are certain qualities in a restaurant writer, restaurant critic that are important. I would imagine that's probably key, that you have to take it very seriously. I do. Point. I mean, look, it's not world peace, but um, no, but it, 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 these people's lives. So you know, world world peace is one thing to the whole world, but you know, this is it affects livelihood. I agree. Look, I've told people before. I think the three most important things for a food writer are to have eaten a lot, <laughs> to eat, have eaten widely, to travel, and to read. And, uh, you know, you I, I, I still do all three of those things in abundance, maybe to excess. I don't know. How many trips have you taken this year already? Because I remember seeing you talk, well, just about, yeah, you don't have to recount all of them, but I remember seeing a Facebook post that you said you've got a lot of your year done. And it was, I looked at the different itineraries and, you know, your jaw drops and, uh, uh, 
it's admirable and it's envious. You know, I was very envious of it. I've probably taken about a uh, 12 to 15 different uh, trips in the first six and a half months of the year. That's that's a good gig. Uh, look, I'm I'm not a young guy anymore, and I, I choose to allocate my spare time to jumping on airplanes and going interesting places to the extent that I can. Um, and I, I feel fortunate to be able to do so. I mean, uh, swinging back into to food writing, uh, look, I recognize that a lot of people can't afford to do that, but still, it, it's still an important qualification. It's still important to understand context. It's important to uh, understand what is out there besides Portland, Oregon. I think there are folks who just know Portland, Oregon. and So when, when you write about a restaurant in Portland, are you necessarily comparing it to, uh, you probably cover it in your writing, but you necessarily cover comparing it to other restaurants in Portland, or are you taking a more worldly view and saying, you know, they could do it as well as this restaurant or I try to take a broader view again it's a matter of context not comparison so <clears throat> we can say XYZ restaurant does a really really wonderful version of a particular dish there's the context of knowing how that version of a particular dish plays out in restaurants besides Portland informs that kind of analysis um, it's less useful if your only experience eating a particular dish is in Portland, Oregon. And so that's what I think it is. I don't think it's any direct comparisons and, boy, this is better or not better than something in New York or San Francisco or, you know, pick the place. So do you think most of the people eating out in Portland have that perspective? I would think that uh, I don't know what the I don't know what the percentage is of people who really travel and get to try other places and Obviously, there are different degrees. I travel a little bit, nowhere near as much as you do. So, uh, But when you talk about chefs, when I get into a conversation with Gary the foodie uh, and he's mentioning a lot of chefs, I'm lost, uh, you know, when he's talking about New York and Chicago. I might know a few of them, but... Uh, most people aren't paid to write about food. So I wouldn't expect people who just, you know, go out and eat, you know, once or twice a month or w whatever the case may be to have that broad of a uh, of an understanding or context. That's really comes down, as I say, to the difference between somebody who just eats casually and tends to rely on others about where's a good place to go and those who at least attempt to to write about it and who others feel they're they're knowledge is sufficient, they actually get paid to do that. So do you, you're an Oregonian, right? You grew up here, correct? Third you, generation, born third, and raised. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. So do you think um, people in Portland are understand what they have here? Uh, the people who grew up here and haven't ventured out much, because I come from Connecticut, and I really, I don't think I was a very worldly eater. I ate a lot. But uh, before I got here, but I've never been in a place, you know, and when I was in New York, I really wasn't in that mindset and probably couldn't afford to go out to those places. But to me, I think of Portland as the Disneyland of food. I really do. It's, there's so many different things. From your perspective, 
Is that true? Or as you were just in Montreal, Montreal is also a Disneyland of food. It's pretty delicious. Different kind of food. Right, different kind. But yeah, exactly. You don't have everybody with the food carts. You don't have everybody trying all sorts of different things. But is that, is, is Port, what, what makes Portland unique over any other city you've been to? It, 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 it is the availability of the most wonderful and, and varied product seasonally. You know, and, I, and that's the driver. Of course, it is. I mean, the ability to have these fabulous ingredients close by—it's it, it, if it's not unique, that is one of a kind. It's pretty close. Now, I don't—you haven't been here all. I—I I don't know how many years you've been here. Nine. But one of the things that we have here that a lot of people don't don't write about, don't think about, is the urban growth boundary. And, you know, people complain about it and there's argument, is it good, is it bad? But the fact is we've had an urban growth boundary for a very long time. The, the effect of that is, it ha- is to have had farmland very close to the urban core. And the effect of having farmland close to the urban core has meant the most amazing connection and more direct connections between farmers and restaurant owners and farmers and citizens than you have almost anywhere in the United States that I'm aware of. It's, that's what's truly unique about here. Um, and, you know, I wrote a little piece for, I think, my first column for the Northwest Examiner, the neighborhood paper that I've been writing for. Um, and the Portland Farmers Market consciously helped forge those connections when it began back in 19, I believe it was 1992. And uh, when I talked with Craig Mossback, one of the co-founders of the Portland Farmers Market, he talked about that and he was very proud about that. And so while I'm not going to say this particular year was the turning point or this particular time was the most important time, um, certainly the proximity of farmland uh, to the urban core and the connection between farmers and, and everybody else in the city is something that makes Portland special. You know, when I've talked to quite a few chefs, um, that's one of the things that brought them out here was that aspect. But I also think it's because there are other creative professionals like them. You know, there's a community of like-minded people. And um, I think that's part of it, too. I think aside from the core, which is the food that's available and where it comes from, but the people preparing it there's a little different vibe here and I may or may not be wrong. I mean, may, may or may not be right. Maybe Austin, I, I don't know. Austin's got the same thing going on To And I, I'd always love to know to what degree, because I always like to think that Portland's got, you know, it's, it's the baby of the New York times apparently. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm always trying to figure out where it stands in relation to every, if, whether I can tout it as this awesome place and I'm really correct. You can tout it as an awesome place because it is, mm-hmm. but it has its limitations too. Um, you can call it Disneyland, and it is in a way. But one of the things that that moving around a lot and going to other places I think helps establish, at least in my mind, is that as great as the raw products are, and as as fortunate as we are to have this abundance of excellent cooks and 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 uh, wonderful restaurants, there's gaps. We have, uh, and you and I have talked about this uh, informally, the fine dining scene in Portland is close to non-existent for a lot of reasons. 
Um, the ethnic. What are those reasons? Uh, a couple of them are the absence of interest on the part of the local populace, and it's sort of an accident of development again. But um, people don't want to pay fifty dollars for a plate of food if they feel that they can get uh, just as interesting and compelling a, a plate of food for uh, half that price or a third. I was going to say twelve dollars. You know, I, 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 I don't want to be critical of Portlanders, but I think we do. We are conservative in some ways. Um, and so there's, without regard to price, there seems to be a relative lack of interest in, for example, modernist cooking, which I find compelling as something I like to, to eat from time to time. Um, Matt Leitner was this fabulous, amazing cook who was following some of the, the Norwegian models, some of the, I should say, the Scandinavian models, and doing interesting things, um, both in terms of the ingredients he was using and in terms of the techniques he was applying to those ingredients. And you would walk into Castagna on a Wednesday, Thursday night, and there no, weren't very many people no, there. Nobody, no, 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 and I think Justin, his, his successor, also extraordinarily talented, mm-hmm. same problem, maybe even worse. Um, and, and those kinds of things bother me. I understand intellectually what some of the problem is, but Portland tends to be younger, less affluent than in some places. And um, for all the, the touting we get as being this adventurous, cutting-edge city, Ultimately, when it comes to dining, I think many Portlanders are, are quite conservative in their tastes. Right. Well, I think also with Castagna and uh, restaurants like that, it's kind of got to be in your mind and a destination, and we're going to do that that day. It's not, hey, where do you want to go tonight? Let's go there. For whatever reason, maybe you can explain what that is, but um, I just it's, it's not on my radar when it's, hey, let's go somewhere tonight. You know, and I've been there, and I enjoyed it, but it's it wasn't, you know, it's just... Well, fine dining has shot itself in the foot. I mean, I, it, not in and of itself, but there have been operators who've attempted fine dining who've done, botched the job so badly that in some ways it's contributed to a lack of interest in fine dining, and that's unfortunate. But that's that's a human factor. Yeah, and I think our definition of Portland has kind of changed its definition of fine dining. You know, it's it's the top tier chefs. That's fine dining in Portland. You know, the chefs that you hear about, the Gabriels and the and and the you know the Eric's at, at Little Bird and Jason French and those. That's fine dining in Portland. And the, I'm not. I agree. That's not a disparaging term. It's just that's the top of the the. The dining scene. Right, and it doesn't involve white tablecloths. Right. It doesn't involve hovering servers in tuxedos. Exactly. Um, Have you been to Restaurant Beck out on the coast? Yes. and I loved it. In yeah, fact, I, I go down to this thing at the coast every year with a whole bunch of guys. Long story. I won't mm-hmm. bore you with it. But I took uh, the group uh, last year for the first time, and some of these guys don't go out to eat that much, and everybody loved it, and we're going to go back. I haven't, I haven't called uh, uh, the chef yet. Hopefully. Justin? Justin, I hope he has a table for us, but we're going to. I'm sure he'll. 
I think it's it's you. a it's a wonderful restaurant. There used to be a really another really great restaurant not that far uh, at the south end of Lincoln City called the Bay House. I don't know how that is anymore. It's so. still there. I think it's been up and down, but when it opened, it was special. And even before that, going back to the 60s, uh, the gourmet room at Salishan was where everybody went. But, really? Yeah. The problem with the, the coast, it, it, it's really sad. I mean, we've had, we have had some wonderful chefs who've lived and worked down there, but the economy is so seasonal. Um, it's, it's very hard to make a living as... Uh, running running a uh, a higher end or nicer restaurant down there. Yeah, well, it's uh, Justin has that problem. He's got a beautiful restaurant, probably the prettiest view you're ever go- you're going to find in Oregon, overlooking um, Whale Cove. Yeah, it it is gorgeous, and um, it's tough to do it year round. Plus, he's in a he's in an inn, a beautiful inn, but uh, so he gets those people, but. It's uh, it's a tough go, and so, but it's also a tough go in Portland, as you mentioned. So, it's not just the coast with that type of dining. There are other restaurants out there that are packed. Um, the economy is less seasonal in Portland than it is at the coast. Well, of course, people just tend tourists, and even a lot of Portlanders um, tend not to go to the coast between November and and March or April because the weather's crappy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also the good time to go. I like when there's nobody out there and you don't have to deal with it. I always figured there's two great times to go to the coast. Summer when it's gorgeous and during a big storm. I was out there for the biggest storm, well, a couple of them, but I had a friend come in from Connecticut and we were out there in September. And late September last year, drove out. We stopped at that first overlook at Cannon Beach and there were like 67, 70 mile an hour winds. We opened the door to the car and were <laughs> sucked into Oregon. Your engineer must have just loved that sound. Yeah, he like he's used <laughs> to lots of sounds. Court, court can deal with it. And uh, did it did it pop off the? I'll add some effects. Okay. Yeah, I, thought we, I, I thought I saw his headphones yeah, like we, pop off the sides some, of his we head. We need some gulls and we need some wind. Good. Can you do that? That, do that. That'll be, we haven't gotten very creative in that area. I think we can. I we'll think do so. that. I'm all in favor of sound effects. So um, the food media in Portland, um, we were talking the other day and, you know, there is the paper of record and there's also, in my mind, Eater. So I think a lot of the, I think Eater does a really good job of, Aaron does a fantastic job of covering the Portland food scene. So people who are aware of Eater, you know, it's interesting is you, you tend to think everybody knows about all the restaurants and, and Eater, but a lot of people you say, have you ever heard of Eater? No, I don't even know about it. Um, are you tweeting as we're? No, I'm trying to remember to turn my phone off. Oh, so that's okay. It's not a movie theater if it all right, if I it just, rings. I don't want to be annoying. No. Um, <laughs> um, so what was your question again? My question, well, I was getting to it. So um, the, the state of food criticism and, and the food world writing in Portland, um, it's a little different here because when you walk into a restaurant, people know who you are. For the most part. For the most part, yes. Um, And I know, you know, when Karen Brooks walks into a restaurant, they know who she is. In other cities, that's not the case. They remain very anonymous. I I disagree with that. I think that's not true. Okay. I think, you know, the the whole Ruth Reichel uh, dressing up, I've talked to New York restaurant owners, and and I think a lot of them will tell you that's BS. They know who she was. 
Um, I think people in San Francisco know who Michael Bauer is. Uh, I would say that people, I, again, this is surmise. I think restaurant owners who are savvy in New York City, they know who uh, 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 Mr. Wells is. They know who Bruni was. Uh, they know who Sifton was. You know, that's part of what you do as a restaurant owner. The, the, the myth of anonymity uh, is something that, that, well, I guess I've just characterized it. I consider it the myth of anonymity. I mm-hmm. don't think there are very many anonymous uh, uh, food critics uh, probably in the entire country. Locally, my good friend Food Dude. Yes. Well, I know who he is. And I always promise he I would wa- never. He will not meet with me. Well, he said he'll meet with me for lunch, but I've never gotten that. I have happen. not seen him. He and I have not gone out together in probably five years. But I know multiple restaurant owners who know who he is. Well, and... they have to at some point. It's got to be out of the bag. That was that guy. But can you, is, do you think you can, what happens to a review when someone knows it's you? They're obviously yeah, going to. Yeah, I'm, I'm not guessing they can enhance the meal and make it that much better, but do you think that affects it when you walk in? And You've just answered your own question. I mean, number one, I've never reviewed a restaurant okay, that Honor. I have. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've ne- I have never written about a restaurant or written a review of a restaurant that I haven't been to at least three or four times. And you and know food what? food dude would do like a dozen, right? At yeah, least. and I tend to do way more than, than three or four. I said at least three or four. Right. I tend, even going back to the Oregonian days, I mean, you got to eat. As you and I both know, um, I'll get, I, I would get reimbursed for maybe two meals, maybe, maybe three meals. Um, but I would tend to go twice that many times just because I'm going to go out to dinner if it's an interesting place. Credibility, integrity are values that I hold very dear. And so, sure, I'm going to factor in uh, the likelihood that the restaurant owner knows who I am and may be at least attempting to treat me better than they would the average diner. But one, I have eyes, and two, if the food is crappy, you can't disguise that over multiple tries. if you look around, if you, if you don't like something, will you order it again to to see how it was, or you do you jump all over the menu? And of course, in Portland, you can go back and you're not going to have the opportunity to order the same thing all the time. Uh, that's true too. I, I don't know; it's situational. I, I can't tell you one way or the other. I do try to order a substantial portion of the menu at any given place, which is is tough when they have large menus. So in that case. You try to sample through the menu as as thoroughly as possible. And do you go out with other people? So Sometimes. You can, Mr. Some, Zukin is, uh, I've seen you dining out with him. I have been out to dinner with so many different people. I, I As much as I love going out to dinner by myself, and I, I really do enjoy it, uh, I like company. I like chatting with folks. I like chatting with other folks who are also interested in in restaurants. So you and I need to go out, and Heather too. Yeah, we haven't done that, have we? No, we talked I think we about should... it. We've run into each other a few places. There was a time, a couple of times. There was a time, Chris, when I made it a point to get to know every other food writer in Portland. You know, I I went out with Roger Porter and Karen and uh, Martin Sismar and Matthew Corfidge, um, Jen Stevenson, who I think is. A wonderful, wonderful writer. Yep, and she's a wonderful person too. And and, and I, she's a fun dining companion. I just had breakfast with her at, <laughs> at Simpatica. Okay, and and I I'm 
less inclined to do that. And Aaron DeJesus, the the the, the Portland Eater representative. She, don't you think she's amazing? The amount of content that she provides. I, I shouldn't say this, but uh, the people who pay her salary, I can't possibly pay her enough. She uh, provides so much content. She's got a lot of insight. I mean, um, you know, she's younger, but she she's um, more worldly than than some of her contemporaries. I'll I'll sure say that. I just and, marvel at her deadlines. What she she it's not like she can take a week off and say I'll get back to this. I hope she can take a week off from time to time because otherwise she'll go bonkers. Right, but, but I'm just saying it, it appears that it's just a ticker tape, just nonstop action over there. The hard thing about Aaron's job, I surmise, is the fact that she has, I, she, I think she has to do four or six posts every day. That's her gig. That many, the, yeah. The, 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 the relatively easy part for Eater, for her, is the expe- there's no expectation for Eater that they cover anything in particular depth. And I think that's great because Eater has a very discreet function, a unique function in town. They'll republish they'll republish other people or link to other people's reviews. They'll talk about openings. There's no hesitation about either crediting or talking about what somebody else has broken, a story somebody else right. has broken. So it, it, it's easier in that sense. No in-depth reporting. She's not writing reviews. Um, and that's the hardest thing uh, in my view, but I, I think it's a great resource. And um, So how do you think it compares to nowadays, 2014, the, the power of Eater versus the power of the Oregonian? Uh, as I say, Eater has a discrete function. The Oregonian attempts uh, to provide a more in-depth coverage of different elements of the, the local food and restaurant scene. So they're really, it, it's in, in a way attempting uh, to compare apples and oranges. But, you know, I, I've told you, I don't think very highly of the food and restaurant coverage from the Oregonian these days. And uh, I think pe- that's the case in a lot of well, newspapers. Well, people can say I'm biased, but, uh, you know, I wrote for them. I wrote for Karen Brooks over there. We had a great team uh, when it was Karen, uh, Roger Porter, Christina Melander, and I. I thought we, we it was pre-eater. We were breaking most of the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were on top of... Uh, the food and dining scene more so than I think pretty much anyone in town. And I, I think it, uh, the Oregonian generally and print media generally is in a pretty sad state these days. Well, print media in general. Not, is that I, yeah, what you, that's yeah. what I just said. Right, yes. right. Um, nationwide. So I, what, when did you start writing? When did you say, hey, I'm going to be a food writer? <laughs> I'm not sure I ever consciously said <laughs> I'm going to be a food writer. Um, or I am a food. When did you say I am a food writer? Uh, My best memory of this, Chris, is that I I think PortlandFood.org had gotten off the ground. And I was, I've always been interested in computers and and, and technology and writing uh, and and the internet. Um, And so back then I would look at PortlandFood.org and I would occasionally write comments. And then I saw that Portland, PortlandFoodAndDrink.com existed I got in touch with Food Dude and said, "Hey, when was that?" Uh, my first review was of, of Alberta Street Oyster Bar and Grill. So if you want to go back and do the timing, the archive, two thousand five. Okay, mm, probably about two thousand five. That's interesting to me because that's when I arrived here and and somehow discovered that website, 
And that's how I started discovering that there was a restaurant scene. Do you know when I came out here and I said to the concierge at the, which is, was, was the uh, Fifth Avenue Suites, I said, where should I go to eat? And he gave me Ruth's, Chris, and Jake's. This is 2004. Blech. Yeah. So, uh, and I said, I what's on the- say that. Well, no, no. It's, but as far as recommendations later, I looked back on that and said, wow, that's unbelievable that that's what they were telling me. But then I said, what's on the other side of that river? And again, it was in 2004, so not as many places. But they literally said, you don't want to, you'll just get lost over there. You don't want to venture over there. I, I wish I could peg exactly if I had a minute to, to look, maybe, maybe Heather can look it up when Alberta Street Oyster Bar and Grill first appeared because uh, that was a great place. So Food Dude let me, I, I wrote him a note. I said, listen, I, I eat out a lot. Um, I think I'd been divorced for a few years and I just, even though I, I was a pretty good cook, I pretty much abandoned cooking because if you add prep time, cleanup time, and it exceeds yourself, eating time, yes, I got uh, you on that. to hell with it. So the dog appreciates it though. <laughs> So I was eating out all the time anyway, and I sent him a note said, look, I eat out all the time. I'm, I think I'm a decent writer. Um, any interest in letting me write for your your site? And and he said, okay, because the, the cost was right, which was free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote that, and I'd written a few other things. And um, I then, you know, a year, six months, pick your time frame exactly, but I ran into Karen Brooks at – the original Steve's Cheese on Northwest Thurman at mm-hmm. a little event, and she said, oh, "I've read your stuff, and and you know, would you be interested in writing for the the paper at all?" Or maybe I asked her, "Do you got room for somebody?" And she put me in touch with Grant Butler, who was then editing A and E, the mm-hmm. the restaurant stuff, and he started taking my my work, and it just pretty much. Uh, Fantastic! It's been I've been been a paid food writer in Portland. So you ever worked since. on a deadline when you were at the Oregonian and Portland Monthly. Did you have to produce so many reviews? Uh, or so it's as you wish. Uh, to some extent, I mean, something. I mean, things always have deadlines. But in terms of whether I'm pitching a story or whether somebody is assigning me a story, it, it just depended on uh, particular time and place. So what's the what? Of all the reviews you've done in Portland, what is the most glowing review you've written at? Which restaurant? Which chef? You don't know offhand? I'll, you, it, I don't. You don't remember? I'm, I'm, I mean, sh- I'm sure there have been a few. I mean, I really, you know, when it comes right down to it, you, you, they call it restaurant criticism. Um, I call it restaurant reviewing. I, I love eating out, and I love most restaurants. I, I tend to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. It's a tough profession. Somebody was asking me the other night, you know, what, you know, what's been your involvement in the food world? And I've been involved from so many different angles. I mean, I helped start Kenny and Zooks. I've been a baker for a long time. Um, when I was a lawyer, I did restaurant deals, so I, under, I got to understand the business side of things. And now I've been writing about it for 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 ten years, approximately. So I really know the business and and the restaurant world well. And the folks who get into the restaurant business, the operators, especially the small-time operators, independent operators, they deserve every benefit of the doubt. Again, that goes I back. I like to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because they work so hard. If, if anybody ever thinks that I'm not given some uh, – that I've written something gratuitously negative, they don't understand kind of how I approach the work that I do. I take it very seriously. I understand these are small business people. And I do. I give them every benefit of the doubt. So when I've written something negative about a place, 
they deserve to have had something negative written about that. Do you play. give them? Do you give them a shot to improve along the way? Have you ever written a chef and said, "Hey, man, I'm writing a review. I had this." Uh, Never. Just a heads up. It's not my. That's not my role. Do, and do, but do reviewers do that? I know. I think I talked to Food Dude. He's done that a couple of times. He's given someone a, an opportunity to. If somebody so, asks me a direct question, how was this? I will not lie to them. As opposed to a server going, how was everything tonight? Same response. That was good. Um, if you, a, even if, you if it wasn't. Like something, you don't tell them. Because eh. they probably don't. Most of the servers, servers, that's a gratuitous servers, question. Servers, no. Anyway. Yeah, it, it's kind of rhetorical. And, and if I'm seriously concerned, if I thought something was really awful, um, well, I, I, if solicited, I would tell the owner that I thought something wasn't right. Have you ever written a, a bad review of a place and then gotten into a nice dialogue with someone and had a, a good result come from it? No, not that no, I remember. They don't contact you and say, let's... Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I ripped Quartet pretty bad because um, it was truly, truly dreadful. I mean, it was one That of was the, the one thing I decided I was going to go out there and but, say but dreadful things about. If you read my review, I mean, I started that review by questioning... The wisdom of yeah, Chris well, Onstad, who, you know, again, everybody has their own style and, and what's okay with them uh, in terms of integrity. But he had written a... Based on the media dinner. He wrote Yeah, and I, I just thought, so I thought... I was you sitting know right next to him and I had a, <laughs> an equally insane experience. So I understood why he wrote that because yeah. it was really a joke. But I wanted to be a contrarian. So I wanted, I went into that assignment, my first assignment for Willamette Week with the idea that I wanted to debunk that. I wanted that restaurant to be good. Well, they love that. Willamette Week loved that, too, because it was a Willamette Week versus Portland Mercury little... That's uh, that's above my pay grade. But um, I really wanted to like that restaurant. And in a way, I did. I mean, that is such a beautiful space. Mm -hmm. But the food was But you was talked so... about fine dining. Lucia didn't make it in that same space. They so... messed it up, too. Yeah, I mean, so... Unfortunately, Chris Dussin is, is a wonderful guy. And, you know... They're a spaghetti factory people, and they know that industry extremely well. But Lucier had, I mean, it had problems, and, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because Greg is, Denton and Greg and Gabrielle were Well, there. not just them. I mean, there, there were several people who came out of that. Kristen Murray was recruited from Boston. Oh, right. To uh, be their pastry chef. They had some great. They had an all-star team, and they it didn't make it. <laughs> they kind of messed it up. But uh, So. You and I, I know, I bet you we could have a two hour long podcast and we'll probably have to do this again. So um, we're not, we're not done, but I want to make sure to get in. Um, I'd like to hear from you what has been really impressive to you lately that you've enjoyed in Portland. Oh, you got a list. You know. Uh, Leave it to a writer to come with a list. Well, I've been <laughs> solicited. Um, I've, when I've traveled recently. And this is one of the reasons I love Erin DeJesus so much. Hi, Erin. Um, she has put me in touch with her colleagues in different cities for recommendations. Well, there you go. That's a good way to go. <laughs> the guy up in Montreal, Ian Harrison, was such a mensch. I mean, this guy, he not only gave me recommendations, he showed me around, which is just above and beyond oh, the call. Oh, that's fantastic. The writer down Isn't in... Isn't that the best city? Isn't that just... Didn't you love it? Everything but the climate. The food was fabulous. Was it really humid? It was disgusting, yeah. And, and um, their winters are extremely cold. 
and their summers are extremely hot and humid. <laughs> See, when I was up there, I don't. Maybe it was because I was already on the East Coast, so I was used to that. But I went up there right after I got divorced as my little escape, and I ended up going. I had the best time. People, I'd meet people at one restaurant. They would take me to a party. I was partying till a guy who'd just been married for eighteen years, who was partying till four in the morning with all these people, and and all over. Must the, have been quite a sight, Chris. It, it was scary, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And then the fifth year that I went back, that stopped happening. So. I stopped going. But let me tell you, you're a baseball fan. I'd go up there and go to the expo games, too. And I, everybody used to completely slam Olympic Stadium. I enjoyed it so much because you could just move around. And, and, and the, I actually, of all cities, Olympic Stadium is where I saw a fight between fans in the park because someone was... Someone was making some comments about Chipper Jones and like a young woman and this older guy started getting into a fist fight at the Olympic Stadium. Anyway, that's a side story. Nothing like a but little I, alcohol and uh, and sports. That's it. There was a lot of alcohol going on there. And, Almost and, always And is. Montreal, when I first came to Portland and I saw the view from over the Willamette and the hill in the back, background, it kind of reminded me of Montreal. I had that feeling. It was, uh, I didn't. It's a lot of, I mean, it's a much, much older city. It's a, it's an 18th century, even 17th century city. It's, 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 it's a great place. Uh, I'm sorry. I had too much coffee. I went onto my Montreal thing. Are you, uh, I still want to hear about Portland. Some of your favorite places. I have, so I was, I've sent this list off to some of the eater people who are interested to say they might come to Portland, oh, sort of as repayment for their advice to oh, me. Oh, that's very nice. So I'll just tick, This is a good list. Everybody listen carefully. I'll tick through this list. I won't give you the little side comments, but so just the list. Um, Ox, I think, is still fantastic two years on. And how do you recommend getting into Ox? What's the best way to attend it? Um, be prepared to wait. Go have or a go couple early, of drinks. right? You can go between go five super and early. six. Yeah. I was there the other night at five forty-five, and it didn't fill up till uh, quarter to seven. Right. I've been hearing a, a little of that lately, so it's becoming a little more promising. So Probably a lot. Everybody of, who has that mindset don't don't necessarily have a preconceived. Yeah, notion. just go. I mean, t- yeah. t- the general rule in any good restaurant: go Monday or Tuesday, and go early or go late. Um, <laughs> You go Friday night at or Forget Saturday it. night at six o'clock. You're yeah, probably no. going to wait. Yeah, um, or go in a large group. Now Ox will take a reservation, so get five of your best friends that's, together. That's the way to do it. And do a six or more, and they'll right. probably they'll probably and save make you sure table. all of them show up. Uh, you know, being a good guest. Well, but if you're a good friend, you want to make sure all of them show up so they enjoy yes, themselves. But I, I believe again, integrity and honesty. If you're going to make a reservation at a restaurant, don't Keep play games. Right, Those, right. They're small business people, and you will affect their lives if you exactly. no-show or screw around with, right. with reservations like that. And they're working on small margins, so they can't afford a lot of that. Stuff. Pretty much every restaurant in town. Yeah. So, Ox, I, I adore. Also, two years on, Smallwares. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Joanna is, is a whiz, and I love the fact—I call it Quasian food. Mm-hmm. Quasi Asian food. Mm-hmm. She calls it fake Inauth- Asian. She calls it inauthentic. Yeah, I think it's she. It's too negative for herself. She's so skilled. Her dishes are. I, I'm not sure I've ever had a dish there that I really disliked. I have some I love more than others, and don't ask me which because I can't. No, I can never I remember, remember them either. She changes, um, but you know yeah, her, she, her she, kale. I hate kale, but but her, she makes it. Yeah. Well, it's with bacon and fish sauce. How could it be bad? Deep right. fried kale. Battered kale. It's like tempura kale with uh, bacon and fish sauce. 
Um, St. Jack in its new location. You know, people. some people have complained about the noise and it's not as intimate. And both those things are true, although they're attempting to address the noise. But, but it's air conditioned. It wasn't uh, when I was there one night it broke. But that's another story. It's 90 degrees and it was very warm <laughs> inside. But Aaron Barnett. In addition to being a super He's nice nicest guy, guy in Portland, I'm going to eh. put him right at the top. Well, I will tell you, I'll digress briefly and say I've pitched a story to a local publication called Portland Nice, the Nice Chefs of Portland, and he's on the list. But there are several others. As yeah, well. no, there, I'm, there are a lot of them, but he's you can't argue with about him. He's he's a, he's a wonderful guy, mm-hmm. and he's doing fantastic food that really no one else in Portland is doing. French country style food that tends toward. It's more. It's it's closer to the stuff you'd normally get in Montreal than in Portland. But mm-hmm. you know the the stuff pigs feet that he's done um, is is a wonderful dish. He's done a, so many that he's had Coquille Saint Jacques on the menu for a while, which mm-hmm. is so classic and so rich and so decadent. But it's absolutely delicious. Anyway, he he. But he's also doing some lighter stuff. I mean, every third plate out of that kitchen is the gem lettuce salad. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, which is really good. It is good. So I, I love that. Another one on my two-year-old fantastic list is Aviary. Mm-hmm. I think that kitchen routinely puts out wonderful food. They tend to be a, a less appreciated than I think they I, should. Be. I completely agree, and I like to send people there because I know. It's always going to be a great experience, and it's probably easier to get into for what for it. midweek. You're not going to have any problem getting into aviary normally. Right. Um, so uh, let's see. Ned Ludd is very Portland. I mean, if you mm-hmm. want a place that sort of captures the Portland ethic, right? Uh, more vegetable focused, and all the hot food coming out of a wood wood burning oven. <laughs> like, who does that? Yeah, uh, but Jason does that. Yeah, and he does it really well. Um, we did a we did an event with him, and by the way, every place you've mentioned right now, we've had a Portland Food Adventures event. You haven't been to one. You have to come. I'm gonna go. We just opened Mediterranean Exploration Company. I know you did, and awesome. I've I've now been there three times. And we did the opening at Ox. We did the opening at Ox. They did like twelve courses. I need so to you get, sign you need up. To come. I need to sign up. I I promise I will. I I, I read That's... all the releases, and I gotta go. Let's see, Atola. I think one of the, um, one of the top two or three restaurants to open in the last year. Or so they celebrate one year next month. I did an interview with with uh, Jose? Chef Chesa, and that should appear in the Northwest Examiner next month. Um, he's again not so nice, super nice guy. Can I tell you what my best food experience of the year was this year? Now that you're mentioning, Tell. I went to Atala. I've been to Atala a few times. I actually went with Heather and her husband. That was nice. We did a, an event there. And then he gave me his recommendations for Barcelona, and I went to Barcelona with my son. So we got the added experience of seeing Barcelona through his eyes and through his palate, and that was, that was really special. I had some of the, my favorite meals were over there. I am headed to Barcelona for a few days in November, and he is doing the same for me. Well, Bar Cañete. You've got to do. If he gave me about six, I'll give you the same six, and I'll tell you where you have to go. That's awesome. Um, let's see where else. Row. I still think Trent Pierce is one of the most amazing. Has one of the, uh, has a gift with seafood that is incomparable anywhere in Portland, and maybe he anywhere. May, he, yeah. 
I have told people, and, and anybody who wants to can tell me I'm an idiot, I go there and I think of Laberna Dan without the fancy surroundings. The, the and dishes it's in are, Portland. The dishes are that luxurious and gorgeous and delicious. And I've been to Laberna Dan, so I, I, I can actually, there, so I can make a comparison. I think Roe is so special. I think Trent Pierce, when he opened Finn, when he started, it was a little shaky, but as he, you know, he was rolling into it right when his owner closed the place down, which is one of the, the less astute decisions I think I've ever seen. I happened to be driving up Hawthorne at about 4.50 one day, and I remember thinking, oh, I saw an eater this morning that this new place is opening Finn, and I was the first customer at Finn. And I remember thinking he served, you know, a little quail egg on something and scallops. And it was, there's a dish I can sort of remember. You don't remember all of them. I remember Dan Dan noodles made with seafood instead of pork. Yes. Phenomenal. So that was the first time I said, this guy can cook. And then it, and then it closed and it was feel, felt like such a tragedy. And I liked Sal Gris that was there before that. That was a, an interesting location. Anyway, go on. Are there any that aren't, those are all what I would have called, what I called before, fine dining restaurants in Portland. Are there any off the beaten path kind of cool little spots that maybe aren't in that list that come to mind, like breakfast places? Are you a breakfast guy? You, you, I don't eat breakfast. Oh, you don't? Hardly okay. ever eat breakfast. Okay. so then, I love kachka. Yes. Is that fine dining? It's Russian food. You know, yeah. you know the two new trends in Portland dining? What's Russian? Russian food and Middle Eastern food. And you got Donette with Vitaly doing his pop-ups. Exactly. Russian and Middle and Eastern and, yeah, yeah. Russian Mediterranean Exploration Company and um, oh, who else is doing Middle Eastern food? Somebody else. Levant. Levant is, but there's actually a And there are a few one. carts. I met someone came to Mediterranean who's, and I, unfortunately, I don't remember. She has a cart and she came to experience that that night. She does Mediterranean. I mean, a pizza shoals is still fabulous pizza. Portland, again, I said there's deficits. We have pretty much everything covered, but it's uh, it's uh, what they say is a mile wide and an inch deep. We have many niches covered, but um, personally, if I'm going to go eat pizza, number one by a long margin is a pizza shoals. After that, I'll go to Ken's. I'm not a big Ken's fan. I think the sauce is too sweet, and they tend to be a little bit floppy for me. I think a lot of people I love, love it. it. I love his sausage, and I'll, I'll wait in line for that. Which it's it's kind of like uh, the Oregon Oregon State. Who are you a fan of? Uh, football thing. Right in Portland, it's pizza. You're either a pizza shoals guy or gal. Yeah, you can or be you're both. A... I like both. I I yeah. I think that the the ones Dove Vivi, all those places, I enjoy them for what they are. But my. Preference is a modern pizza in New They go out a lot, so I don't go out for pizza that much, and when I do, it's almost invariably to a pizza shoals. Um, I love Lovely's 50-50. Yes, I should have mentioned that. Um, I love that. And there's and their salads there. Are, so I'm not, I don't always order salads. When I enjoy a salad, I enjoy it, and Lovely's 50-50, along with the butter lettuce at St. Jack that you mentioned. Or the, or the Caesar at a Pizza Shoals. That's a, that's go. a, oh, that's, that's a good a one, too. Damn good I've had that. I'm, I'm proud to admit that I've had that, that salad. And, you know, we are so fortunate to have Rodney Muirhead. Absolutely. I, you know, I've made a couple pilgrimages recently, one, one very recently, one a year or so ago, down to Austin. Of course, I do not have the patience 
to wait in line uh, six hours to eat at Aaron Franklin's. You need place. to go with Obama because he doesn't wait. I need, well, I probably could go with Rodney or anyway. Yeah, well, that's true. I, I, unless uh, I, I do have my limits and I'm not going to wait two hours for pretty much anything. I just, that's just not. You something. may be able to get a little uh, call, pre call from <laughs> Rodney to Aaron Franklin. I, I didn't even try because let's just say this Lockhart, Texas. It's about less than an hour south of Austin. And you there's can spend blacks, it driving through There's Smitty's, there's Kreutz's, and you can drive at 85 miles an hour legally on the way down there. And it, it, it's that's Disneyland for bar, Texas barbecue. Do you, do you drive at 85 miles an hour? If it, it was the speed limit. So, yeah, I did. I mean, I don't want to get passed. So do you always drive the speed limit? I'm just curious. Mostly, so usually, within left, a little left, bit left of tolerance. Left lane, what do you drive? I never am in the left lane unless I'm going fast. <laughs> and so, okay. It drives so, me crazy when people yeah, well, do that. I just, you know, I really wanted to get into a driving conversation with you, but I'm not going to. Um, but Because uh, it's, my, it's my only gripe about Oregon is the driving. And well, I have a couple of gripes. You know, I think time. about this because you know, and I, we, we're not going to get into it, but you know that my day job involves sometimes running traffic court. Sometimes, yes. And so I am very conscious of good and bad driving. And yes, Oregonians tend to be slower drivers, but I see horrid driving well, everywhere but wait a I go. I've said this to you: you don't have <laughs> you you have a different perspective having grown up in Oregon. Yeah, if you came here from San Francisco or the East Coast, you would have a different perspective because I find that the people in Oregon who call their idea of a horrible driver is someone who drives seventy. My idea of a horrible driver is someone who's going 50 in the left lane. But I've seen that in the Deep South when I've driven down there. Believe me, it drives me nuts, too. And there are clueless drivers everywhere. Now, you may have a good argument that there are more clueless drivers in Portland than elsewhere. Yeah. But uh, I do. it's not my I'll experience. The I see. And the roads suck. We need to get rid of studded tires so we don't have loud, ridiculous roads. I'll let you talk to another guest about that. Yeah, one. no, I understand. I appreciate. So we certainly haven't run the gamut because there's a lot of things we can talk about. Uh, I think what we did talk about was really nice. We're out of time. So um, I appreciate your coming by. This was a lot of fun, and we must go out. And you can come to Kachka. Uh, we're doing a PFA there in August. If I'm in town, I will. All right. I, I go to the Oregon coast. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Justin Willis and Restaurant Beckham. Justin Wills. Just so you Wills. Yeah, just I so apologize. you spell it right when you. When you're typing it, he's fan. He is. Uh, you'll have a good time. Have you been to Blackbird yet in Manzanita? I have not. There's have. a restaurant on the coast that's doing very well. I have to get to the North Coast, and it's been. A, I, I will. I just had a little. And I know we're out of time. But I just did a piece that appeared in uh, Portland Monthly called "Seaside Memories" about growing up and going to when I was a kid going to Seaside in the summer times. That's my North Coast place. When's that going to? When's that going to be? It's in the current issue. In the current issue, it okay. came out beautiful too. So that's I, the. Well, that would be the July issue or the August issue. I believe it's August. It's okay. just whatever it has summer things to do. On okay, the August two thousand fourteen. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate. It. Actually, I wanted to say thanks, dude, because I don't get to call a judge that very often. That's okay. Thanks, dude. To you too. <laughs> All right.